Hey there. The holidays are here, so it's good to know Fred Meyer can save you some time with free pickup on all your fresh favorites. Whether your traditions call for a hearty helping of juicy ham, ample apple pie, or Aunt Sue's legendary twice-stuffed stuffing, Fred Meyer has got you covered. So order for free pickup at fredmeyer.com or the app and get more time to get your holiday on when you grab your groceries curbside. Fred Meyer, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Welcome to the Everyday Mindfulness Show, the off-the-cuff exploration of everyday aha moments and life experiences. Join a cast of over 70 uniquely brilliant individuals. Each week, Mike Domish and an eclectic mix of cast members and special guests will engage in mindful and lively conversations about everything from meditation to spirituality to personal passions to successes and failures to relationships to the stuff that makes up the moments of our daily lives. Let's get started with your host, author, speaker, provocateur, and a bit of a goofball, Mike Domish. Hi, yes, I'm your guest, Mike Domish, and thrilled to be here with our special guest and fellow cast member, Tony Newman. Now, when I say Tony Newman, I want to make sure you spell that right. So when you look up Tony, you can find her, and that is T-O-N-I, T-O-N-I, Tony Newman. Newman, just like it sounds, N-A-W-M-A-N, from TonyNewman.com, and she is a genius when it comes to innovation. And so, Tony, one, welcome for joining me, and if you could please share your story of how innovation became your mission in life. I think I was in the innovation business before I realized I was in the innovation business. I've always wanted to do things a little differently. And when I was a kid, I think that was interpreted as not being very good at following the rules <laughs> and doing what I was supposed to do. Um, so I did. I went off and I was a lawyer for a while and that was wonderful. And then I had the opportunity to go away on a vacation and ended up staying and traveling around the world for the next 10 years with Club Med. And so I have to say that during that period in my life, I got exposed to so many more things and so many different perspectives on life and all kinds of people doing all kinds of wonderful different things. I moved back to Montreal at one point, and I think the first moment I really realized I was stepping into the innovation business was when we opened our first business, which was an event production business. And we would take, uh, we would take events that people wanted to do, and we would ask them all kinds of questions nobody else had asked them about. And we would create these very large marketing events, so product launches, store openings, international and national sales meetings. But our specialty was really taking whatever people wanted to do and whatever outcomes they wanted, whether it was dollar value or motivation or whatever the outcome was, and coming up with what we just thought back then was a really kind of neat and unusual way of accomplishing their objectives. And it turned out we were good at it. That's and cool. from then, people started to ask me to speak, and here I am all these years later helping people be more innovative and get competitive advantage in the marketplace. Well, I love how you shared that because what you brought forward, I think a lot of people hear innovation and they think technology. They think it yeah. must be technology related. But nothing of what you just said implies technology. Now, that doesn't mean you don't work with technology, obviously, but, but it doesn't imply that at all by what you said. So could you explain what innovation to you means? Innovation for us is value-based change that resets expectations. And I love that you brought this point up about technology because that's the default mindset about innovation. And you said, I'm sure you do work with technology. And I would have to tell you, I'm about the most technologically challenged person that you will ever meet. 
So there are lots of wonderful people out there who are innovative where technology is concerned. But what we're talking about is the human experience. How do you innovate the human experience? How do you innovate your customer experience? How do you innovate your employee experience? How do you innovate your teenager's experience? How do you create value-based change that moves people past their, what we call their default mindset? And that, that for me is why it's so exciting we're talking about mindfulness because we have to be aware of where we are to know where we want to be. So, so one of the things we talk about a lot is what if the only thing standing between where you are today and where you've always believed you could be is the courage to let go of where you've already been. And that for us is innovation. Going from where you are to where you want to be to where you've always believed you could be and getting there in a way that might not be the way everybody else got there. I, I love this. I mean, this is the heart of mindfulness. And you said you learned this because you originally were just going on a vacation with Club Med and then like you got hired by Club Med while, right after that or on vacation? I, I did. I, I've always been what I, what I refer to as a why not person. You know, opportunity. I believe the doors open for everybody. Absolutely. Not everybody sees them, right? And not everybody walks through them. Yes. And and to be fair, some people get different doors than others do. Uh, oh, absolutely. Yes. Not the same doors open. Correct. For right. But I believe doors are there for all of us. But you have to see them. So in your language, you have to be mindful of them. You have to know the doors are there. Right. And then you have to ask yourself if you're going to walk through them. And I've always been somebody who walked through those doors. No, I want to be clear because people sometimes say, oh, well, that takes a lot of courage. I don't know if it was courage or, wow, there's a new door. Yeah. <laughs> don't you think that a lot of times it's the naivety of not seeing the risk that actually lacks courage. We don't realize it, but I mean, I'm the same way. People go, hey, you know, you started this business and you speak around the world. You just, that must be, that takes a lot of courage. And then I'm like, I didn't see it that way. I just saw it as like, that's what I belong doing. And I was maybe naive, but blinded to the risk. Now, there were times I felt the risk, like yes. when you're building something and financially you're struggling, you feel the risk all of a sudden. But at the moment to make the choice, often you just, you're blinded to it because you so are in tune with, you know, this is the pathway. So that's what happened to you. You, it sounds like you were with Club Med, you felt that pathway. What were some of the, because you, you got to meet so many different cultures along that path. So what, were, so what were some of the breakthroughs that you had, either from certain cultures or certain people that brought you to different places of a mindset that helped you have that innovative approach to life? One of the most powerful Club Med experiences that, that I remember, and I know, you know, people think about Club Med and they think, oh, you partied all day and, and all <laughs> night. Um, and we did have a very good time. One of the most powerful experiences that I remember from Club Med is that it is a economic, religious, status, what it, it levels everybody. Because everybody who was there was there for the same reason. And it didn't matter whether way back in France or Morocco or Canada, you came from a rich family or a poor family. We were all getting paid nothing, honey. We were all like not getting paid very well. But so we so I want to pause. So when you say we're, we're all on the same level, you're not referring to the, the customers, the clients. You're referring to those working at Club Med. Yes, the work, work yes, because there's a big difference. Because I could hear somebody hearing that going, wait, 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 wait. People no, who can no, afford no, no, Club sorry. Med are not all on the same level. No, so no, you're no. saying those working there. Awesome. Okay. Yes, the people that working there. Yes. So you had 
Muslims, with Jews, with Christians, with and we would get together, for example, the Jewish holidays or the Muslim holidays or any different, everybody was there. There, there were very few political discussions. There were very few religious discussions. So it was a great leveler. So number one lesson to answer your question is, if you can put the things that make us different on the edges, you find a lot more things that we have in common. When the things that make us different aren't getting in the way of conversations, then the richness of perspectives that end up in those conversations is absolutely huge. So that, that would have been my number one. The, the second thing was we had nothing. We had, I was in charge of entertainment. We had relatively no budget. We had to make things and invent things that we were going to get scored on and were going to impact our careers. We had to make these things out of nothing. So that whole concept of looking at what you had and looking at the beach and saying, what can we do on the beach? Or looking at, I don't know, a coffee pot and going, how do we turn that into something that can be part of a set design? That was a great learning experience. And then I would say the third thing was totally being focused on the customer. If I walked by somebody at 2 o'clock in the morning and they had a problem, it didn't matter that it was 2 o'clock in the morning. As a staff member, I had to figure out how to solve that problem at 2 o'clock in the morning. And when we came back and opened up our first business, I remember I was standing in a trade show and we didn't have any idea what our business was going to do. We had no customers. And we got our first customer that day, and it was a really big customer. And afterwards, I asked why. And the gentleman said to me, because you were the only person who made it all about us. You were the only person who made it all about us. Yeah, well, I love that. And we always talk about we're part of something bigger, a force beyond our comprehension. Uh, and so it is about the about the us versus the I in that Absolutely. experience, without a doubt. And for someone listening that might be thinking, well, I don't own a business, so it's not customer related. Well, it's the same thing as being mission focused. So whatever your mission is, be all in, live that mission versus, you know, if you're thinking, well, I don't have customers. All right, well, that's living customers, be putting them the focus. Do you have your mission focused? If you're mission focused and, and everybody should be able to think of a mission, right? We're all serving in some way or capacity in this world. Absolutely. And our, our definition of a customer is actually quite broad. We work with a lot of associations who are trying to hold on to their members. We work with not-for-profits who are trying to increase their number of donors. Um, but the bottom line is no matter what you do in life, if you don't have the resources that you need for the mission, there is no mission. So it's not just because we're in business and we have customers. Maybe your mission is is ensuring that that all of your children go to go to really great universities or get a really great education or are happy and healthy you have to have the resources for those that mission and if you don't have them you have to be innovative about how you're going to get those resources and make that mission happen i love that how can we be innovative in our lives to get to make our missions happen it's beautiful and so what would you say are traps people fall into that that block them, create that wall in front of them from being able to have that innovative approach and be able to think that freely and openly from a from a place of complete awareness of possibilities, that mindfulness place with creativity? Mindfulness plays such a huge role in innovation from the point of view that if you are not mindful in the moment, you simply cannot see the possibilities. 
you cannot make the connection between one thing and another if you are not mindful. Now, it's an interesting sort of mindfulness because you have to be mindful about what's in front of you, and you also have to be mindful of your experiences, what's behind you, and you also have to be mindful of the possibilities in front of you. But if you can't be mindful in the moment, then there's no way you can make those connections between something that you see or experience or hear and some other possibility. So that's that's a huge obstacle is that people get what I like to refer to as mindful, but with two L's. Their minds are full. Yes. They're so focused on what they've got to do. Their heads are down. Their minds are full. They're not, there's no space. There's no space to make those connections. So that's a huge obstacle. One of the things that we discover is that people don't take the time to be mindful, to see, to experience. There's a movie I saw with my kids a few years ago. One of the characters said, teach yourself to see what others do not see, and you will know what others do not know. Well, when our heads are down and we're focused on moving from point A to point B to point C, we don't see. You don't see anything else. So that would be a huge trap, our minds being too full. Yeah, I love the mind full because it's a full mind. And I love what you're saying there about what we don't see. Not only do we not see, but maybe what we're seeing is an illusion. Because of the stress and everything that's there, we're seeing the wrong vision. Or there could be truth in it, but it's not the one that's going to help us. So I think of parenting. All right. So your something happens with your child or your child makes a choice and you freak out. Now you argue I'm in the moment because I'm paying attention to what has happened. This is in the moment. I'm addressing it. But what you're looking at is fear, your greatest fear of what's going to happen because of that choice. So you project fear onto your child. You try to overprotect or discipline out of fear, not out of a them focused. How would you talk to your child if you're focused from the child's perspective? It changes the whole experience of being present. Absolutely. One of the things that I've learned over my life, and I have two teenagers now, and I have led teams in business and not-for-profits, is that I have to actually tell people, because of my personality, I actually have to say to them, one day you might say something to me and I am going to react. But I want you to know that I heard you, and nine times out of ten I'm going to go away, think about it, and come back because that's my personality. My personality is to respond from a place of passion and instinct and gut. But it's important to be mindful of the fact that sometimes we all need to step away from that and go back and think about the other person's perspective and how that could impact how we feel and how we think and what we do. Yes. And you and I are very similar that way. It's that trigger reaction to we must react instantly. We're very similar that way. Uh, And what's interesting is I find we do it to the people that are closest to us. Absolutely. Because we know better than to do it to the people there's a distance from. And we we don't want to do harm to those relationships that are, you know, professional or whatever. But we don't even, we react so instinctually to the people we're most comfortable around. So typically, I don't know about you, but it's either partners or kids that feel that hit the most, right? Right. Because the partner says something to you trying to help you and you're like, what are you talking about? Like, blah, 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 blah. You know, you have that kind of reaction and then you you walk away and you're like, oh, maybe they're right there. And so, and so you go back, you're like, you know, that was really helpful. Thank you. But we have to, we have to work, and I know me, I'm not saying you, 
taking a breath when it happens so I don't have to go back so that they feel valued in the moment instead of always feeling a two-edged sword, which is, well, you get the appreciation later. <laughs> and so you don't really want to share because that's not the, for them. They don't want to share as much because it's not as a welcomed, appreciated share. Like you're going to feel appreciated in an hour. How, well, how does that feel like to say, I'm going to say something now that they're Absolutely. not going to appreciate for an hour or half a day later. So I know I've yes. had to really work on that to be more present in that moment and not just react, just sit and hear and listen. Right. I, I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> <laughs> so how does someone utilize an innovation in their life without feeling overwhelmed by the, the need to change or to adapt constantly? How do they find the right balance of too much change and adaptation versus not enough change and adaptation so they're not innovating? Where do you find that? Or, or what are the maybe the red flags that, that are saying, I'm not allowing innovation in my life or, or I'm overwhelmed by innovation? One of the first things would be to take the word innovation out of their vocabulary. Uh, it's a hugely intimidating word, and, and it, it brings a lot of baggage with it. So when, when we are chatting with people, we, we think of ourselves as being much more in the courage business and, and looking at the gap between where you are and where you want to be. So when you're looking at that gap and you've removed the word innovation from your vocabulary, what you're thinking about is how can I think differently about this? How can I share my ideas about this openly? Because it's one thing to think differently and then not tell anybody. Right. Right, because then you're sitting there in your own little bubble. But how can I think differently? How can I share my ideas more openly? And what do I need to do to take more risks? And those are three very different steps in the process, but they're chronological. First, how do I think differently? How do I apply the whole why not concept to this? What would I do? I remember way back, I was in my lawyer days, somebody said to me that they couldn't do something. They had this dream they wanted to do, and they had all these reasons why they couldn't do it. My answer was, why not? And and the answer, why not, is, is not because I don't recognize that we have obligations or responsibilities, but until you put the why not on the table and really look at things, that's the first step. How do you think differently? What are some other questions someone can ask themselves to think differently or tools that they can use or skills to think differently? Well, that, that's a huge question. <laughs> <laughs> so, so let me bring it down just a little bit. So why not is a great question. Another thing that, we, that I like to ask myself is how could I dare to be different in this situation? What would daring to be different look like? And daring to be different comes kind of with two levels, which is how can I dare to be different from me, from, from how I would normally think about this, and how could I be different, dare to be different from how others. A great example was when my kids were in school, I was a single mom, I had two kids under the age of eight, and all of these mothers would go to the school and they would go for library time and they would do all of these things, and you know our life. Like I was on the road. I didn't know from one Wednesday to the next what I was going to be doing. And I felt horrible that I couldn't participate. So I changed the question, what I can't do to what I can do. So I asked myself, I said, okay, I can't do library time and I can't do all of this. So what can I do? In the basis of who I am, what can I do? And we came up with this week-long imagination program we did in the schools. I did a program for the parents, for the teachers, for the kids. This went on for a week. So that's a really easy question is, okay, these are all the things I can't do. I feel so stuck on these things. 
But what can I do? How could I dare to be different? How could I do something that's never been done? And the other thing I think would really go back to your mindfulness question. It is stopping to think. You used to say that Bill Gates took two weeks a year to do nothing but think. As far as I'm concerned, if it's good for Bill Gates. <laughs> so how much time do, do you take in your day? I have a thinking chair in my office. And I go there 10, 15 minutes in the morning. No, I'm not a good meditator, uh, I confess. But I do sit and just let my mind wander and see where it goes. But that is, then that is a form of meditation. I think people get, you know, these preconceived notions notice what meditation means. That's a form of meditation, absolutely. 15, 20 minutes is so powerful. I'm the same way. That's my time frame usually, 15 to 20 minutes. And when I can sneak a second one in the middle of the day, innovation goes to a whole nother level. Because you're in the middle of your day, in the middle of your projects. And so suddenly what happens, you sit and you have this quiet and these thoughts come through your head like clouds and you let them go. But while they're going through, you have some clarity and yes. some new angles and approaches that when you return, you're in a different place. And it's, it is from a more creative place, a more innovative place. Yeah. And, and I would also add one more thing, which is, and this is going to sound a little trite, but is to read. Now, Read slash listen slash however you get information in this. But I, there are days when I think I'm done. I am absolutely brain dead. I pick up an article or I read something online. You cannot make connections if no new information and inspiration is coming into your brain. So people say I'm not creative. I'm not innovative. Well, yes, you are. You're just not feeding it. Read something, even a fiction book. I have found myself reading fiction books and underline something and gone, oh my gosh, that makes me think of this, which makes me think of this. So you can't make connections if you don't have information or inspiration to make well, them. I love what you said there, but you've got to feed. You have to feed you the creativity, feed. the brain. It's so pivotally important. I know the difference is massive when I'm reading and, and I'm really in a reading place in my life where I'm just going book to book to book. The ideas of what I want to share with the world are multiplied 10, 100 times more. All these shows that we do on Everyday Mindfulness, almost every single one is inspired by something I'm reading in a book. And my brain goes, oh, we should discuss that. Uh, it might Absolutely. not even be what the book is saying, but I like take it somewhere in my mind and go, I want to discuss that. Without that feeding system, I'd, I'd be sitting there going, oh, what should I talk about? And it, like you said, there's no difference in my ability to be creative in those two situations. The one has been fed. The one has been starved. That's the difference. Absolutely. So I love that you're sharing that, Tony. That is so awesome. Is there anything that can be cautious on not thinking too much about, I have to do the next thing, I have to do the next, you know, I have to come up with the next solution that's creative and unique. That's a really, we are under so much pressure to be innovative, which is one of the reasons why it's nice to put the word away. Yeah, I put it away um, there. I said creative and <laughs> I, I was listening no, to you. No, but it's good because there is a difference between being creative and being innovative, but it's more the, the pressure that people feel to change. I, I like to say that people don't resist change. They resist the work that comes with change. Because if change is happening to your neighbor down the street, you're going, go, 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 that's such a great opportunity, right? This is so cool for you. But if change is being, being foisted upon us, if, if we feel the need to change in our lives, and there's a whole lot of stress that comes with that, the reality is that you don't need to change at all. All you need to ask yourself is if you're 100% happy with where you are. Yep. And if the answer is, 
Yes. And there's really nowhere else you want to be and you feel like you've reached the pinnacle of where you want to be in your life, then maybe you can just be in the moment. For me, there's always another something on the horizon. And I'm not talking something on the horizon like, you know, I want to make whatever. I'm just talking there's another thing I want to do. There's another place I want to be in my life. I want to learn to stop interrupting <laughs> and giving my opinion before I've had a chance to truly absorb what somebody has said, which means that somewhere along the way, I need to change how I think. I need to share my feelings about it more openly. And I need to take the risk of keeping my mouth shut. I love that. And you and I are so close in personalities. It's almost scary because that's been part of my my journey the last few years. And and for those listening right now, watching right now, you know, when, when you and I first really got a chance to sit down and talk, it was a Canadian Speakers Association. We were at the National Convention and we we're sitting there having dinner the, the night before. I, I think it was keynoting the next day. Right. Right. And meeting with you and Steve, and I believe there's somebody else there with us at the time, but your generosity, your willingness to just give and your presence is so awesome, Tony. And it, absolutely, you're so brilliant. Anyone who knows you and ever gets to hear you speak, people are like, oh my gosh, you just blew me away. And you've done that today on the show and giving so from the heart. I appreciate it greatly. You mentioned books and you mentioned reading. What are some books that for you have been really pivotal in this journey? of innovation for your life, not just business, but life or both. It could be either. On a more personal side, it would be, uh, and I'm not sure I, I will pronounce his name right, but Paolo Coelho, who yes. wrote The Alchemist. Great book. Um, it is the story of a, of a young man trying to find a treasure, but not realizing he had it all along, which I think is huge in life, is we, we're not mindful of what we have. That book, I think I've read it probably five or six times, and I get something new out of it. From an innovation perspective, and particularly from a courage perspective, is Seth Godin's The Purple Cow. It's a short book, if, if anybody hasn't read it, and it's a business book, but you don't need to be in business to get huge value from this book. It's all about daring to be different and just asking yourself different questions. So I would say that on the personal side, The Alchemist, and on the business side, The Purple Cow would be the two ones that changed my life, really. Oh, they're, they're both game changers. I mean, Purple Cow, the whole idea of remarkable, right? What is remarkable? Yes. Am I living a remarkable life? I mean, it's it's just a great concept. Then The Alchemist takes you such a personal, deep level. And anybody who reads, you know, I shouldn't say anybody reads that. I know people can read those books and they just don't, they can't relate. Yes. But for those who are in a spirit of mindfulness, if you're on that journey and you're listening to this show and odds are you enjoy that, that book is just, it's it's a must read on the you know top 10. It's, it's just yes. so powerful. And yeah. a lot of his stuff is great. Now, he's had some stuff that isn't on the same path, but a lot of his stuff really does take that journey that, that is exciting and fun. So thank you so much for joining me well, today. Thank you. Absolutely. For me. Absolutely. For everybody out there who's thinking, hey, where do I find Tony Newman? How do I find out about Tony Newman? Well, one, on our show notes of all our shows, whether that's on iTunes or you go to our website, everydaymindfulnessshow.com, you'll find the link to Tony. You'll find out all the information, but we'll make it easy. It's TonyNewman.com, T-O-N-I-N-E-W-M-A-N.com. Simple way to get hold of Tony. Thank you so much for joining thank us, you. Tony. Absolutely. It's an honor. Well, I'm, I'm thrilled this worked out. For everyone out there listening, you can find out all about Tony, as we said, and you can get our free downloads on our website from a lot of our cast members at everydaymindfulnessshow.com. Until next time, may you enjoy everyday mindfulness in your life. 
three quick reminders. One, please subscribe to the Everyday Mindfulness Show on iTunes. Already subscribed? Then encourage others to join us by inviting them to subscribe to the show. Two, while on iTunes, download all the latest episodes. Three, reviews help more people find out about the show. Would you please go into iTunes and write a review? Doing so helps spread the mission of the show. Thanks. We appreciate you being a part of our vibrant, oftentimes silly, and always vulnerable community. If you have an idea, a thought, want to sponsor the show, or just want to say hi, send us an email at listen at everydaymindfulnessshow.com and check us out at everydaymindfulnessshow.com. Have a joyful, mindful week.